Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Woo! So what are you guys talking about today? <laughs> Man, oh man, what a state of the union last night. Uh, I will say my mom was a little frustrated with me because I took her out for dinner and I, I it just didn't, I didn't, look, I was going to watch it on replay. I didn't factor in that maybe she wanted to watch it live. So I'm very sorry, Mommy. I didn't mean to make you uh, miss President Biden's State of the Union address. Um, we, I called my husband right away. I'm like, you're recording it, right? It's recorded. So fortunately, it was recorded. But she uh, she wanted to be able to watch it live and support the president. And uh, and part of me, like, I don't know. I guess I should have watched it live. I just I it was the only time that Griffin, my son, could meet us for dinner. And it was the way it worked out. Griffin was also I was the only one of the day. I'm like, what? It's recorded. I go, what? No. All right. Real time stuff. Sure. Uh, but I mean, there is something to obviously be said. It's like watching the Super Bowl uh, later after everyone already knows what happens. Uh, so what did you guys think? Seven, seven, three, seven, six, three, nine, two, seven, eight. And if you were listening yesterday, when I was hanging out with my good friend, a comedian, Dwayne Kennedy, we were talking about handling hecklers. And I was explaining how one of the things, after 25 years, I've got a few tools in my belt, in my little toolkit of how to deal with rowdy people in the crowd. Mind you, it doesn't always go uh, according to um, what I, uh, my attempts would uh, indicate. And so, however, um, it's still, uh, it, there's something really glorious about pulling it off. And you can see the president just, man, he cast that line just like he was fishing on a quiet pond, like, oh, don't mind me. When he said that there are Republicans, not too many, not the majority, but a few who want to get rid of Medicare and so, and then the booing and the yelling and all the faces of, what are you talking about? And then he said, hey, you can reach out to me. I will uh, share the papers that uh, have been filed that someone sent to me wanting to sunset these programs that people have been paying into. Social Security, something we all pay into from our very first check on. And there are Republicans who have said in public, have been recorded, have uh, said it out loud that they want to end these programs and have limits on them. And uh, so they, oh, they're just yelling, no, you liar. You know, Marjorie Trader Green, M. Trader G, yelling, you know, you liar. You know, and, and the thing is, she was yelling liar often with, with him like, in the middle of a sentence. She was, she's just yelling. And uh, and he just just waiting, waiting for get a little bob in the water, just just waiting to see what uh, what happens next. Really cool, calm tugs on his fishing cap, you know, maybe adjust his fishing vest, trying to decide what the next lure is going to be. And uh, they're just all at the height of yelling at him. And he waited. If you notice, there was yelling. He kept talking. Oh, no. Oh, we're not. We're not going to do that. Oh, so you're saying that Social Security and Medicare are off the table. All right. Boom. <laughs> and they're already stand like how do they not stand and applaud that they're not they're gonna <laughs> It was it was just fantastic. I enjoyed that immense I and you can see that twinkle in his eyes. Oh, look at you standing on the rug I'm about to yank out 
from under you. Yes. Oh, my gosh. All right. What do you guys think? Let's uh, take our call. 773-763-9278 is a number to call or text. Join our conversation. That'll be the same number you should text to to win a gift card from our friends at Brown Sugar Bakery. Uh, we're so excited to have uh, to partner up with them for the Valentine's Day season. You can uh, visit their website and find out about all the wonderful treats that you can send, either for Valentine's Day or to let someone know that you're thinking about them. Today, let's, uh, let's go ahead and just... Let's do uh, Corella DeVille as our phrase that pays, 773-763-9278. Marjorie Trader Green was just a a splash of uh, black paint away from bringing Corella DeVille in that ridiculous getup. Hey, Paul in in Seattle, what's on your mind? Hey, Patty. Yeah, that was a a very sweet moment. Uh, It was was almost unbelievable that that they didn't think that booing like that and saying, no, 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 boo, that they couldn't see the left hook coming. No. I mean, what did you think? He was, he was talking about Social Security, and you said, no, okay, okay. Right. I'm not doing that. But, you know, and the, the thing I also thought was uh, as strange as they got every bit as irate when, he, when President Biden pointed out that the biggest single contributor to the United States, the, the national debt of the United States was Donald J. Trump, uh-huh. 25%, $7.75 trillion that he officially added to the national debt. Mm-hmm. And I would have loved for him to, I know he's not a pileron, but I am, um, to point out that that amount, that that is two thirds of all the money that's ever been paid out in Social Security. Yeah. Since it started payouts in 1940, two thirds of it was added on in national debt with, by Donald Trump and tax cuts for the rich and subsidies for big corporate, big corporation subsidies. That's so since 1940, 82 years ago, 12 trillion dollars has been paid out to over 500 million Americans in Social Security. But Donald Trump, in just four years, mm-hmm. used two-thirds of that much money yes. to give tax cuts to a few rich people and a few corporations. That's the, that's the one that I really love. But President Biden went over every aspect of what the problems with the economy are. He said, we have jobs. And by the way, the inflation, we have demand. Inflation is just a shift. You know, it's too many dollars chasing too few goods, and he pointed out the too many dollars is coming from the fact that we have lower unemployment than any other time, really, in history, but since 1968. Yep. And the problem is the domestic, we don't have a domestic supply chain because thanks Ronald Reagan Mm -hmm. who outsourced America Mm -hmm. to China and other Asian countries and then decided to import the cheap goods there because they were made by practically unpaid slave labor. Yep. Um, that's why we have a global event and the supply chain, the, the, the trickle down, trickle down supply chain dynamics, economics, Reaganomics finally fell through. And now we're paying the price because we don't have domestic options because we don't have American jobs. And in part, why did they want to ship jobs overseas? Because unions were growing. You had the textile industry, the, a lot of manufacturing corporations didn't want to have to pay for a, not just a, a living wage, a wage, you know, that's commensurate with what the corporations are raking in. 
right? Wanting to make sure that the workplace was safe, wanting to make sure that there was job security and bargaining rights. And they're like, you know what, let's, let's, let's just, let's, you know what, we can get it done for cheap. We have to think about how people are treated and how much they make somewhere else. And, and then here we go. Everyone's, it, 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 well, yeah. Yeah. Let me just, I, I want to tell you something that, you know, on uh, the, uh, during the day we have CNBC uh, business report with, uh, Jessica Ettinger, I love this. She said yesterday, it was actually the day, day before yesterday. She said, this is, this is how she opened up her, her bottom of the hour report. She said, the unexpectedly strong jobs report has Wall Street concerned. The Fed will meet later this week to consider further interest rate increases. Yeah. So you see, when America has a job, Wall Street's concerned. Yeah. And the Fed says, oh, my goodness, we're just going to have to raise interest rates to make doing business more expensive so that corporations and the people the, the, will have to lay people off. Because obviously, you know this, Patty, it's better to have no job and not be able to buy anything than to have higher prices, of course. Yes. So they have to raise interest rates. And we know that the, that the, the added cost of doing business, it's not going to be borne by the by the corporations because the nope. Republicans are going to come along and give them tax cuts. But so that we can't have them bearing the brunt of inflation. So the idea is just that Wall Street is concerned when America has a job and the Fed has to come along, raise interest rates to make sure that America loses some jobs so that prices can come down. Right. And it's just un- and because this is the economy that serves the rich. That's what it has to do. It serves the rich. And that's what that's why we have to have people laid off, because this economy is supposed to serve the rich. And the, the Fed has done never done but had another trick up its sleeve. Paul Volcker in 1980 raised interest rates to 20 percent. That's all they have. That's the only trick in their book is to raise interest rates. And President Biden got to the idea of we need to increase supply and that will balance out prices with demand. Well, and they also never do anything about price gouging. I think I mentioned this yesterday. Oh, God. I, right? With the, every all the Republicans, every conservative that I know was blaming President Biden for gas prices last year, right? It's all, thanks, Biden, all this stuff. And then we find out what? That these gas corporations, some of them doubling their profits last year. Huh. What happened last year? Oh, that's right. Gas prices were through the roof. Fascinating. Yep. And, and you know what? The, the myth. Of the Trump economy, we hit last quarter. Uh, the, the economic growth was 2.9 percent. That was the best since Trump's best quarter. Trump's best quarter was the second quarter of 2019. The only time he hit 3.1 percent, and then after that, it was just like a, as Bill Clinton would say, like a third down a well. That was what his economy did, and then COVID hit. And but Trump, honestly, Trump didn't even match. Obama's best quarter, which was in second quarter of 2015, was 4.1%. And yet we all we heard was how great the Trump economy was. No, Trump economy. Mm-hmm. And by the way, Paul Volcker, uh, or sorry, Jerome Powell, Trump's uh, Fed chair, who's still in there, he lowered interest rates during this great economy, supposedly, that we had with, with, with Trump. Why did he lower interest rates to practically zero? If it's a good economy, why are you lowering interest rates? I mean, that just, that's what set us up for more inflation along with the supply chain interruptions. This is everything Republicans do is just bad economics 
Yet somehow they they keep claiming that they're the party, of, you know, the fiscally responsible. I know, but they're the party of they're the party of borrowing bins. They keep calling the Democrats tax and spend, but that's what the Constitution says: you tax and you spend, and you pay as you go. But what they do is borrowing bins because. The, the the rich can't pay anything. The rich can't pay taxes. Well, and, you know, so much of what was their last thing they've, they've wanted to do with their tax system was abolish income tax and make it a, a sales tax. Right. And Lauren Boebert yeah. is like, you know, in 1913 was the first time we ever paid income tax. And part of that was because sales tax are burdensome for the working class and for poor people who spend their money on food and the things that, you know, clothing. Uh, and it's not sustainable to have the burden on the working class. And so it's, it's, it's absolutely safe. And the other thing is uh, how much money, once you, uh, you reach a certain level of wealth, how much passive income you can make, right? That's, a, that's the other thing is you can ship it off to the Cayman Islands or offshore accounts, and uh, not, no one has to know anything about it. And, and, that, and that accumulative wealth continues to, to widen the gap between the rich and the poor. That's, that's, the, that's the whole thing is that we pay, we pay taxes on what we earn, and there and what's uh, earned income, and the wealth gets to the rich get away with uh, having so much of their income being not not uh, considered earned income. Right. I mean, I don't. I'm, so they don't have to. It's exempt from taxation because it's not this earned income, and they and they get away with not having to pay on it. It's it's, it's absolutely. I mean, taxing wealth is what we should be doing, and I think yep. what people have to understand is that you pay taxes. The, the lion's share of what most of us have in terms of our wealth is our home, our property. Right. And we all have to pay property taxes, and that is the lion's share of our wealth. Why not tax, why not tax the wealth of the rich? Because there's nothing in the Constitution or in the American dream that says you should be able to accumulate unlimited wealth and take this money out of the economy so you can sit on it and do nothing with it. <laughs> it's it's crazy. Know, it, I, I don't care if you want to make... $10 billion a year, you better be drinking the most expensive champagne and eating the best gas. You should be spending $10 billion a year. You should, it's the, what your money is not just to make a mountain out of, because that's taking money out of the economy, and that's damaging to the economy, and the, the founding fathers did write about that. Uh, yep, exactly. I've got to run for a break, Steve. Thank, I mean, Paul, thank you so much for calling. I appreciate it. Great conversation. Let's take a break here. I, I'm, I, I, you know, it's, I, I think I uh, dropped the ball. Our friends from Camp Kubagani, for some reason, I thought they were going to be here. I've got to text you a number for our, our guest at, uh, right now, actually, more in a moment on WCPT, WCPT 820. I want to thank our friends from Camp Kubagani for being patient. Uh, the sponsors for our tech screen. We want to find out about how you can get kids involved in multi- multicultural camp. More in a moment on WCPT. This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. Hi, this is Kirk Bankstead from the Minocqua Brewing Company, and I sell progressive beer like AOC IPA and Bernie Brew, a lovingly irascible Democratic Socialist lager. A percentage of the proceeds of every beer I sell goes to helping keep Wisconsin blue and driving the Trump cult out of our state. Enjoy a great craft beer and help your dysfunctional neighbor to the north get its democracy back. Now available at Arminetti Wine and Spirits in Woodstock, Illinois, and Famous Liquors in Lombard, as well as in Chicago at A&S Wine and Spirits, Back of the Yards, and Grand and Western Liquors, Ukrainian Village. Please drink responsibly. 
into the show? Now you can text Patty at the same number you use to call us. 773-763-9278. Thanks to our texting sponsor, Camp Kupugani. Register today at multiculturalcamp.com. 773-763-9278. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. One of the uh, greatest experiences of my life was being able to go to camp, uh, both uh, day camp and a sleepaway camp. That's why I just think that uh, taking an opportunity to have kids enjoy uh, so many different experiences over the summer is crucial. And joining us on the line is our friend Kevin from Camp Kupagani. Hi, Kevin. How are you doing today? Uh, hi, Barry. Thank you. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. My apologies for being a few minutes late. We got carried away with the conversation. I was like, oh, where's that number? So thank you for your patience. Um, I want to ask, first of all, I think that one of the important question for me right out of the gate is how do I pronounce the name of the camp appropriately? Well, I pronounce it Kupugani. Kupugani. But, uh, okay. It's a term of it originally. I heard someone pronounce it like with some Zulu flair, which I don't speak, but that's as close as I get. <laughs> Kupugani, I got you. Camp Kupugani. And so first of all, uh, what's your role at uh, at Camp Kupugani? Uh, I am, I guess, the executive director. Sounds fancy. It does sound fancy. So tell me, what is, when when people, you know, ask you what you do and you're like, I'm the executive director of Camp Kupugani, what's the first question you get? Like, well, what's what's Camp Kupugani? What's uh, what is the uh, what's the the short elevator pitch that you give people about uh, about this camp? Our camp, well, we're intentionally uh, fun, intentionally diverse, intentionally challenging, and intentionally empowering. So kind of all of those. And for, you know, so uh, like, what kind of activities are there incorporated into Camp Kupugani? Is there uh, water sports? Is it hiking? Tell us some of the elements of the camp. Well, and just to all the, you know, kind of typical things that if people think of camp, they think of, you know, so we do, you know, canoeing, um, swimming, rock climbing. Uh, we have fun stuff like mud volleyball and things like that. Um, but then we also incorporate uh, team building and um, we're intentional about like conflict resolution so that we're kind of giving. So it's fun and we're giving uh kids the tools to, you know, become even better humans than they were when they started. That's one of the things. So I went to Girl Scout camp for six years. And for me, it was uh, it changed my life forever to be able to go to camp. Is this an away camp or a day camp? Uh, it's an away camp, so they come for a minimum two-week session. <laughs> How wonderful. I mean, there is there is something different of being away from, you know, whether it's the people in your community, the people in your classroom, uh, sort of those stressors, right? Because a lot of kids uh, come from situations that uh, they don't even know they're under that stress or their families don't know. Have you come across those sort of stories at Camp Kupugani? Yeah, and especially it's been interesting the last couple of years, too, with, with COVID and, and kids reactions to it and, and staff's reaction to it kind of uh, has exacerbated that in some ways. Um, but it's still, so it's even now find even more important to when they ha- get that empowerment and independence that, that a good camp experience can give, that they, that they get to emerge even stronger from it. So that's great. It really does make a difference, like I said, for self-confidence uh, and feeling independent, right? You're not under the watchful eye, maybe, that you or you feel. I, I just remember, uh, I don't know, it's hard to explain. What What is the age range for the kids that go to Camp Kupugani? 
Uh, our campers are ages seven to fifteen. Okay, that's a great age. It's a it's a good age range. I went away when I was when I was nine. And tell us about the area that uh, that is where the, this is Leaf River, Illinois. Correct. Uh, correct. Yeah, we're in uh, beautiful Northwest Illinois, so we're about uh, ninety minutes west of O'Hare Airport, uh-huh. um, and it's a hundred and twenty-six acres of forest. It's a it's a really beautiful uh, limestone valley that runs through camp. So there's like a river and a seasonal lake. Um, so it's just really full of like the beautiful nature and all the all the all the the great stereotypes that you think of like ooh camp. <laughs> this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. <laughs> and and what kind of uh, living arrangements? So because for example, as I mentioned, my Girl Scout camp, we had uh, tents. We had like you know, platforms with canvas tents. Do you, is it cabins? Are these what? Where's how how are the kids uh, sort of organized where they sleep and, and the living arrangements? Uh, yeah, so we're relatively luxurious compared to tents. <laughs> <laughs> they have uh, these nice uh, built-in uh, wood uh, wood cabins. Uh, so they have seven to ten campers with two counselors um, uh, per cabin, um, and they uh, yeah. So it's nice. Uh, it's insulated, so it doesn't get uh, too hot or too cold. Um, it's like solid built-in wood bunk beds because we have an amazing facilities person that does all that good stuff. Um, so it's cozy because uh, you know you're having seven to ten people in 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 a space for for a couple of weeks, but th- that's where you also get the the great intensity of you know togetherness and fa- like it's your family <laughs> for right. two weeks. Um, so you have all the magic things that happen, and you get to overcome the challenges of you know. Of, of 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 interacting with people who are different than you and some who are the same. No doubt about it. We're talking to Kevin Gordon. He's the executive director for Camp Kupugani. And uh, we're talking about the multicultural experience that they are mindful about making sure that there are kids from all backgrounds uh, participating in this camp. And how, how do you how do you go about that? I mean, one, it's, it's you, you obviously want to reach out to parents who want this experience is one of the ways in which you brand it, right? Uh, correct. Yeah. So it's uh, so it's interesting because there's um, there's people who have historically attended summer camps, and there's people who have not historically attended summer camps. <laughs> so it's, so it's a challenge from both sides uh, because those who have attended, you know, they kind of have their camp <laughs> because you go to you know you tend to go to the camp that you remember that your your family might have gone to, um, and then for uh, kind of underrepresented campers. It's an effort to, you know, kind of show them the benefits of camp. Um, so, for example, for, you know, so it can be a challenge for, like, uh, Latin, Hispanic uh, uh, families um, uh, sometimes because it's like, okay, here first-generation families, because, like, if I love my child, why would I send them away? <laughs> Which right. is a fair, sure. it is a fair point. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of kind of camp education that goes along. So so these are the benefits. This is what they get and what your family gets from it. Um, and then when they see their camper come back, like as this, you know, evolved person, they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> now I am a camp 
person yes. <laughs> going forward. Um, so, so, so it's interesting. Right. Uh, and you have, there. and to your point, you also have, you know, when you mentioned that there are people have their camps, as I mentioned, you know, there, there are sort of, I guess, paths, right? You have the Girl Scout camps, the Boy Scout camps, family camps, Y camps, and things like that. That's why I'm so drawn to the uniqueness of Camp Kupugani and the, the, the mission that you're on. Where, what was the, uh, how, how long has Camp Kupugani been around? Uh, this is our seventh, going to be our seventeenth summer. Oh, outstanding! Who created this? What? Who was the genius behind this? Oh well, so using language like that, the genius must have been my wife and me. <laughs> <laughs> outstanding! The genius is then. I meant plural. <laughs> so, what led you to this adventure? Um, well, originally, I, had, uh, I didn't. I I was one of those people who did not go to summer camp um as a child like you know you went and played outside did things for the summer um so my first introduction to camp was just as a summer job i was uh, i used to teach tennis when i was uh younger so it was just a college job at uh, the summer camp in wisconsin it's a great camp but very uh, unintentional and very homogenous and so even with that uh, when i was at this camp i was like wow this is amazing, the impact that camp has on kids. So then I was like, okay, well, you know, suppose you had, you were intentional and brought different kids together and you were intentional about the experience, whatever, imagine what you could do. So I was like, that's what I want to do with my life. Wow. Um, then, then unfortunately had, you know, yeah, towards a hundred thousand dollars of school debt at the time. Sure, <laughs> you know, that'll get in the way. Uh-huh. Like, how do you how do you get from you know point negative all the things to be able to afford a camp? So the short story is I, I went through professions that could make money, eliminated most of them because I couldn't do any of them. <laughs> <laughs> settled on, settled on uh, becoming going to law school and working for a, a, a law firm for a short amount of time to try to get seed money, and then looked for a camp. So. Fortunately, it, it it worked out in a in a weird way. Now that's another thing I'm curious about because I've I've heard of people buying you know old camps or you know and and making them either into like you know glam camps or just a place for family retreats and things like that. So how does one find a camp? Do we build it from the ground up, or is this something that was already in existence? Uh, it was already in existence as a uh, kind of like a rental camp program, okay. um, and we were super lucky. And we were super lucky because um, it's really hard to get into the camp industry because um, camps either remain in the direct family or they run down into like the camp family. Or to your point, like they're they're just run down and the infrastructure is a mess, and you you could never have enough <laughs> have enough money to bring it back to a semblance of. Of, of livability. Um, so luckily, the camp owners prior to us, um, their daughter was uh, probably like 30-something, and she had had kind of enough of camp life. Um, <laughs> her parents were selling it. There, there was no uh, direct camp family because it was a rental program. Um, and then even then, we were just lucky because they wanted they didn't want to sell to developers. They wanted to keep it as a camp. So it was relatively, you know, it was in reach as a price. Um, and then they, you know, there's still like, I don't know, 10, 15 different people that, because everyone who's in camp, like, I want to run a camp one day. Um, so they liked our concept and how we were going to respect their kind of current rental groups, even while we were building out our uh, multicultural program. So 
So luck can, I guess, luck meets opportunity, I guess. Oh, no doubt about it. And so you mentioned that it's a two-week session. How many sessions are there throughout the summer? Uh, we do uh, three, uh, three two-week sessions, and about about 30% of the kids come from multiple sessions. So we have two blended sessions um, and then a girls-only session. Oh, thank you for that. But, I mean, just just from a girl's point of view, I, uh, I as I mentioned, uh, it was uh, it's part of where I think uh, uh, my growth came as uh, someone who's confident and uh, and did, wasn't self-conscious. Because, uh, you know, there are body issues sometimes when you're, you know, in grade school and high school, when you are around the boys or even with other girls who, uh, you know, and, and you mentioned, you know, there's uh, this uh, team building aspect to it as well. And I'm guessing part of that is, is conflict resolution which was something I also learned. Uh, and to that, then, how do you train the counselors and the people who are in charge uh, to, you know, what kind of training is involved for the folks that are working with the kids? Um, yeah, it's a lot. Um, so uh, before training, like, there's, a, there's a big uh, kind of interviewing and vetting process. Um, that's a lot. <laughs> and then what, before they come to camp, um, we have a few months of like just, you know, kind of getting to know you things. Um, and then we have some pre, uh, pre-arrival uh, online training virtually. And then once they get to camp, or we have a 10-day kind of intensive training, um, in-camp training process. So they're getting, you know, youth development stuff, they're getting activity development, they're getting, you know, child care, just all the things. And, and 10 days is not enough <laughs> because if you think if anyone who ever, who's ever, you know, been a parent or been around youth in any way, and they know there's, there's not, you're not getting all the answers or any of the answers <laughs> in, in 10 days, uh, but provides a good basis for, for, you know, kind of, uh, Getting to getting to getting comfortable and and and, and knowing what you're doing once once the kiddos arrive. And how do you when how do the kids arrive? Is this something where parents drive their kids there, or do you have a drop off place in Chicago and then bust to the camp? Um, our our families because we're because we're relatively close to to uh, Chicago and, and suburbs. Uh, our families drive uh, to camp, um, and that was actually the one. I don't want to say benefit of COVID life is that uh, uh, our camp and others, you know, you have to be creative with drop off. So we during the during the throes of COVID, we we started instituting drive through drop off. So it was literally the Ooh. families did not get out of the car except for the kids. <laughs> Um, yeah, luggage. Yeah, because I imagine there have been situations in the 17 years that you've been open where the kids don't want to go or the parents don't want to let them go. And right, did you have? I'm guessing you have moments that you remember over the years. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and that's what drive-through drop-off. Yeah. Has eradicated. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh, nope, <laughs> you're, you're not coming out because there there would always be. It was more so from the parents. There would usually maybe one child per session who would struggle. They'd go to the cabin and they try to come back and, and there would always be a, a mystery 
there'd always be one parent who would say, like, oh, no, I forgot. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I forgot this. I'll just go give it to him. Like, no, no, I'll take that. I'll, I'll give it to him. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Oh, too fun. Yeah, just one more look. Just one more look. And look, I when I went, uh, you know, I did my first session and uh, I came, I was crying because we had, they, they did a bus for us and I was crying the entire ride home. I got home and I begged my mom to send me back. Do you, are there kids that can go for all six weeks or is it strictly only two week programs and, and you have to rotate like, you know, other kids are, are coming in? Uh, yeah. So we have about 30% of the kids come from, for multiple sessions. Uh-huh. Um, and, and kind of to your point of the crying on the way there and crying, you know, crying before camp and crying after camp. Uh-huh. That is such a typical camp experience because you'll get a certain amount that like they're going, they're like, oh, I don't want to go. I'm going to miss you. I'm going to miss you family. Right. On the way in. And then on the way out, they're like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to miss my camp cabin mate. Yeah. I'm like, wow. Oh, yeah. No, leaving. I'll never forget the just the sheer grief that I felt at nine years old having to come home. I loved my parents, but it was just being in, you know, out of the city. I had never had that before. I had never uh, been, you know, I never saw. Look, I never saw the sky like that away from the city. And kids must. I mean, it's, isn't that great to be there for, for kids who just never experienced that before? Oh yeah, that's a great. That's the great thing to find. And there's a, a good critical mass of kids that don't, you know, you don't get to see the the stars or even hang out in grass yeah. or <laughs> islands or outside or yeah. dark or any, you know, any of the things that you increasingly take for for granted when you don't have the opportunity to get to it. Um, so yeah, it's magical when you when you see that. Like we had one camper. I think when we were um, one of the earlier, like when she first arrived, she couldn't even sit on the grass. <laughs> wow! Yeah, she couldn't sit down on the grass. It was just too much. Like, ah, this is gonna be fun. And then she ultimately became like a five-year returning camper. She's like in the mud with mud volleyball and doing these things. <laughs> just seeing the evolution from like I can't to like fully embracing, you know, the nature and, and camp life is, is always uh, amazing to see. I, uh, I, it really, I'm just like, I'm having so many flashbacks of the things it, it, to that point about grass and bugs and all those things. Like we, because we were in tents, we had mosquito netting, uh, you know, on sticks tied to our cots and things like that. And there were kids who had just never had that experience. And there were kids who came from uh, places that, you know, the Girl Scouts had uh, like a scholarship program. Are there ways to help, uh, you know, fund kids who might not otherwise have access to Camp Kupugani? Kupugani? Uh, yeah, we do. We have a an well, it's a separate five hundred one c three public uh, charity, the Kupugani Scholarship Fund, that uh, facilitates camp for uh, kids that can't afford the full tuition. Um, so it's from they pay from twenty to eighty percent of of tuition um, for campers who can't afford it. So that's so it's great to have that available. And, and the other kind of weirdly beneficial thing about COVID life. It's that the, the the championship fund has kind of continued to grow, so there's plenty of uh, plenty of opportunity for support. Um, and, and part of part of the challenge is sometimes you is is, is making aware to like middle class families or whoever. It's like you you know take advantage of the fund because you know without a championship you know it's a couple thousand dollars for uh, a couple weeks camp without 
camperships or paying full tuition. And, um, and, and it's there to be able to support those families who, you know, whether it's a partial campership or full or, you know, towards a fuller campership. Um, that's what the, the fund is there is meant to support. That's wonderful. Again, we're talking to Kevin Gordon. He's the executive director of Camp Kupugani. Am I saying it right now? Camp Kup- Say it again for me. Uh, yeah, sounds as good as the Zulu guy. Camp Kupugani. <laughs> what, what did you say, though? How do you say it? Oh, yeah, like that. Kupugani. <laughs> I think you I feel you're just playing. You're like, no, it's fine. You don't keep trying. Camp Kupugani. Uh, again, folks, you guys know that there are tech sponsors, and uh, we want you to check it out, whether it's uh, for you, a child in your family or maybe you know someone in the, in your world. Uh, and I also want to know, coming back to the counselors and the folks that work at the camp, uh, are you hiring right now? Because I would imagine that's a great opportunity for kids in high school and college and beyond. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we're always looking for amazing humans to be uh, to be great staff. Um, we um, non-alumni um, staff need to be eighteen, okay. um, eighteen or over as of camp camp time, and then our alumni campers can be seventeen and they can be junior staff. But uh, um, especially, yeah, eighteen-year-olds, especially those with lifeguard certification, because that has <laughs> also been a weirdly. Um, another weird impact of pandemic life yes. <laughs> that globally there's less lifeguards yes. <laughs> in the last couple of years because schools were closed and whatnot. So yes, I highly encourage amazing humans with lifeguard certification or if they can get it <laughs> before camp. I, I was I, with I just met with some folks in the Chicago Park District because I was a lifeguard at the beaches here and uh, I was just you know trying to figure out how I could help because there is a shortage here as well of course as you mentioned and uh, and I was telling her I'm like look I'm 50 but I know a lot of my my former lifeguard friends were all like what do you need well we could we could get trained again but so folks if you, you know this is a great way to have a new experience if you know if, if you have the skills I mean is there is there an age I mean I don't know if you want people coming out of retirement to be lifeguards but you might get there. <laughs> well, for sure. Well, first of all, 50 is just like a baby. I know. I'm 54 and a half, and I'm still, you know, every three years, every two years, getting my lifeguard recertification. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. I love it. So, so treading water, you know, and, and doing the 300 yard swim is, you know, gets a little challenging, but uh, yeah. But yeah, every, everyone, anyone, anyone who can spare minimum. Uh, we, like we get a lot of uh, well students, but like also teachers, but people who can be available for the summer. Uh-huh. Um, but we can also have like minimum two week um, two week staffing um, as well. So you're saying though, like let's say I work this out with my husband for next year, and I have my lifeguard certification. Would I would a lifeguard have other responsibilities throughout the day, or are they only for the the water recreation aspect of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the cool thing about our staffing, because we're uh, generalists as opposed to specialists, uh-huh. um, so everyone gets to do a little bit of everything. Okay. So, like, some places, if you're lifeguard like or rock climbing, that's what you do all day, every day. So this, you get to do, you know, you have your, your kind of day job with your cabin kids, and so you'll counsel them, and then you'll be assigned to a table in the dining hall, and then you go to the pool, and then, so you get a nice kind of broad-based uh, 
broad-based experience. So, so when you when you put in for your uh, vacation time for next summer, uh-huh. definitely definitely <laughs> bear that in mind. Well, I I'm I'm wondering if uh, if you would like when you're I, I'm trying to figure this out because I really want to check out your camp and be able to like come and do like a, a Facebook live video and stuff. Is there a way? And maybe I should have asked this off the air, and maybe I should still wait. But because I, I can I can broadcast from anywhere. It would be fun to come and interview you on site when you start setting up for this for the season. I, by then, I guess enrollment's already done. But it would still be fun to keep talking about it. Oh, that'd be interesting. Yeah, yeah. that'd be cool. Or doing staff training or something. Yeah, no, yeah. Sure. yeah. Maybe interview if you have a, uh, any counselors or someone I could interview too about you know thinking about next year and planning ahead. But right now, uh, registration is open for Camp Kupugani. Uh, folks can go to multiculturalcamp.com. Is there also? I'm guessing there's a place there to look for hiring and for registering and all the information folks need. Uh, yeah, there's more information than one can possibly ask for on our on our website. <laughs> All the things. <laughs> All the things. Well, I would love to take a trip out to uh, to the camp. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you again, Kevin Gordon, the the executive director, uh, along with his wife, the masterminds and geniuses behind Camp Kupagani, a multicultural camp, a children's summer of empowerment, challenge, and fun. Uh, it just sounds amazing. I'm so uh, thrilled that you have uh, created a space where kids can uh, really build their confidence, enjoy the outdoors and work with each other. This is just congratulations on all this. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for, for having me. Absolutely. And uh, and again, I, I'll touch base with you and uh, we'll figure out a time when I can come. It's not just because I want to canoe or something. You guys do canoeing? Uh, there's, there's canoeing, kayaking, stand-up paddleboard, dam jumping. Yes. All the, uh, all the enthusiastic things. Now, I have a question. For your campfire, are you a teepee or do you like building the log, the log frame? What's- oh, great question. <laughs> I'm going to say both. Yeah. I'm doing the teepee within the log cabin. Thank you. Nice. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I, I've never seen a campfire that I I, ha, I haven't had to take control over. It's a problem that I have. I'm just saying. <laughs> may, may, may I ask you a challenging question? Oh no! Yes, go ahead. Go ahead. For s'mores, uh-huh. are you a blazing? Are you, you light it on fire, mm. or do you rotate it until it falls off? See, I've been both. Yes, right. It's the the really the patient roaster, right, who can get that beautiful, that luscious brown caramelized color. Oh, that is a thing of glory. But I've been known to roast the crap out of it till it's got a black crusty shell and it's going to fall right off the stick and just yes, and, and just scar the inside of my mouth. Yeah, I've been that person too. I'm an iron pie girl. I'm a banana boat girl. I like all those things. <laughs> oh, that's great versatility. <laughs> <laughs> I really can't wait to check out your camp and, uh, and a pleasure to collaborate with you here. And thank you so much for your support uh, of the work that we do at W. CPT. I really can't thank you enough, and uh, and I hope that some of our listeners, if they have questions, will go to multiculturalcamp.com and uh, look forward to meeting you in person, my friend. Great. Fantastic. Take care. Have a great rest of your day. You as well. Man, I want to go camping now. Thanks a lot, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. My best to everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Let's take a break here. I know I went long, but I wanted to. Get the, I wanted to make sure we. Had, I just. I, I could talk about camp all day. All right. More after this on WCPT eight twenty. Again, go to multiculturalcamp.com dot com and find out more about Camp Kupugani. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT Willow Springs, is powered by ComEd. See how ComEd is preparing for a clean energy future at comed.com dot com slash clean energy. 
Light at the end of the tunnel. Light at the end of this tunnel. That light at the end of the tunnel. Your guiding light. That light is going to get brighter and brighter. Through another day. I think it's a great day. The Joan Esposito Show. Live, local, and progressive. Weekday afternoons at 2 on WCPT 820. You're listening to WCPT 820. Because facts matter. I went with one long interview, so I've got this weird sort of uh, limbo here. Let's go to Jim real quick, and I'll take another break and get to Dave in just a moment. Jim, what's on your mind, my friend? Hey, Patty. How was your birthday party? Good last night? Oh, we went to Frontera Grill, and it was wonderful. Uh, the food was fantastic. We had oysters and ceviche. Uh, my mom had some taquitos. I had uh, I had mahi. It was fantastic. Uh, what did Griffin? Griffin had, uh, I think that Griffin is quietly becoming a vegetarian. Uh, so he had, uh, yeah. yeah, he had a, a pumpkin mole on uh, yuca, and uh, I think it was a ve- like a vegetarian dish, but it looked fantastic. So yes, we had a lovely time. And, and it, but hold on, Jim. In the middle of the meal, uh, Griffin said, "Oh, he was getting the tweets about uh, the State of the Union." My mom, the Union, the State of the Union. She was so mad. I'm not mad, mommy, but she was uh, she was upset that I had taken her away from the president. <laughs> so what were your thoughts, Jim? Anyway, I thought it was spectacular. But yeah. what I wanted, what I wanted to call about was now that I, it's a sin in my religion that fled scandal. But this morning, Trump apparently has pictures of DeSantis, if you believe this or not, when he was a teacher down in Georgia, and he's at these underage parties with these young girls. So he's he's he's, uh, he's finding a fact that he's a groom. This groomer Woo! business is really, but this groomer business. <laughs> You know, Pia, you know, I oh my God. you know, grooming, the only grooming I ever knew was when I took my dog to the, you know, get a haircut. Yeah. You know, that was you know, the only groomer I ever heard about. But anyway, he's already attacking him. So uh, he must feel he's a threat. Of course, he is. I mean, you look at the odds. Because actually, DeSantis has a better chance of beating Biden than you know, the bookies have got him as close to beating Biden. The bookies have Trump with no possibility of beating Biden. But, again, I mean, it's two years, so God only knows. But I'm sure that he, uh, you know, he attacked, he attacked the guy in Texas. They said that his wife was homely and his father was in on the Kennedy assassination. And little Ruby was little hands. I mean, the other guy, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, nobody could get away with that in my family. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I told ADB, there'd be two hits. He used to say there's two hits. Me hit you, you hit, hit the ground. ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, two hits here. But, but anyway, yeah. anyway, I just thought I'd bring that up because as goofy as that is, if you can imagine, the, the battle, they'll not only be battling for the, uh, nomination, for the Republican nomination, but he's going to have a, uh, you know, pulling everybody apart the way he does it. Anyway, yeah. Teddy, I'm glad you had a good time last night. Thank you, Jim. Thank, thank you. you so much, Jim. Let me load up this uh, this break right here. I also want to thank our sponsors, which I haven't uh, mentioned. Because, please, uh, my friends who are so generous by making sure we ha- these conversations are possible. Kirk Bankstead at Monaco Brewing. Make sure you visit the Patty Vasquez show page and find out where you can pick up Progressive Brew anywhere in the Chicagoland area. Well, not anywhere. I mean, those locations all over the Chicagoland area. And our friend uh, Senator Dan Katowski from Kids Above All and the inc- incredible team he has there helping children reach their potential, support their mission by visiting kidsaboveall.org and uh, find out how you can help. Donate 
donate uh, some supplies, some financial resources, maybe volunteer. They can always use your help. And of course, we want to thank Warren Price from European and U.S. Car Service over by there at 4080 North Broadway. Keep his phone number in your car in case you are in a pickle or in a jam. Are you in a jam or in a pickle? Can you be in both? How about pickle jam? Mm. See, I, I feel like I'm, I'm messing up these uh, these phrases. Anyway, 773-248-1200 in case you get, let's, let's say you get in a fender bender or your car is not drivable, uh, Warren will help you out. 773-248-1200 or go to europeanus.com. Let's take a break here. Come back and take some calls. It'll probably be really, I really messed this hour up. Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Yes, let's get back to the phone calls. Dave in Hoffman Estates. Hey, Dave, how are you doing today? Hey, Patty. I think Trump's the one that had the tiny hands, little Marco, <laughs> with the uh, water bottle. But uh, <laughs> I'm going to say... Uh, <laughs> He's going by his old playbook from back in uh, 2016 and stuff like that. And Hillary kind of took him too lightly then. So I'm, eh, he's got to watch out for that boy yet. You know, he ain't been con- he ain't been uh, put in prison yet. He can, like I say, just say charged, not convicted. You know. Mm-hmm. But uh, on uh, that Marjorie Taylor Greene, when she was screeching out. That uh, liar and all of that. But was she uh, channeling that Joe Wilson from the South Carolina at that time when he did yeah. that with uh, right with, with, Obama? with Obama? Exactly. And someone mentioned this. I you know I watched a lot of coverage, and someone mentioned ever since then, it's almost been expected. And I get it. I think you know, I I was wondering. I went back to check and see if Democrats did this during Trump, and we did. And not just when uh, Speaker Pelosi tore his speech at the end of it, and and you know, sort of the 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 teacher clapping at the toddler who uh, was able to wipe their own butt. Um, <laughs> sorry, I just... Um, but there were people who yelled during... And I and look, uh, it, it's icky. I, I'm not a fan of the, this behavior. Last no, night was, a, be a, was beyond the pale, huh? I mean, there used to be a decorum. Yes. You know. And they ripped the you, lid off of that. So you, yep. you may not like the guy, but you respected the office. Yep, exactly. You know, yeah. And then, and then earlier heard today, like on uh, Miller show or something, that they had a thing where that NTG was whining about that being a congressperson is so hard and all of this. I know. And, yep. And, well, you remember again channeling? Uh, you remember George W. Bush when he went and saying hard work? You know, <laughs> that time that being the president, he's saying hard work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've talked to I've told, I've mentioned this before. I've spoken to a legislator who uh, boohooed as well and said that, uh, you know, since he took on uh, his role as a state legislator, he he was had lost about, uh, you know, two hundred thousand quarter million dollars in in legal business. And I was like, I was sitting there. I was like, am I supposed to feel sorry for you? Because I'm really finding it hard to do that. I, I don't think they're drafted into that position. I, right? You, vol- you volunteer for it. Yeah. You know? Well, and, uh, yeah, it's just, I don't, yeah, you're right. But you know, uh, it's crazy. But um, the, uh, I, I did enjoy, you know, the where uh, Biden had played them like a, like a fiddle. Yes. You know? Yeah. 
and uh, masterful. Kind of me, kind of like a, a spider drew a, yes. a fly in the web. Yeah, you know, I agree. And, yeah, uh, just very casually. You, know what you gotta do now, Patty. Mm. The next time you get these um, these uh, uh, trolls or whatever calling about it, or maybe uh, the real industrious, you can make a T-shirt out of the stuff or something, and just say that uh, that uh, suck it up, snowflake. Republicans <laughs> just got Biden. Yeah, they got you know, owned. You got Brandon, you know. Got Brandon. Yep. I, know, che- I checked the all... receipts, and I believe the Democrats owned the Republicans last night. Yeah, <laughs> it it, it, yep. I mean, you see the meals having a good time at the end, oh, yeah. laughing and taking his stuff and that. And, uh, and so you get the others. Uh, my wife was telling me that she's seen one of them where he had that picture that Marjorie Taylor Greene and with her mouth wide open, and then they just kind of, you know, add a caption to it or something, and, you know, because like you said, others have said she looked like Cruella Deville and that, and and then the caption they they had put, whoever it was, it was brilliant. They wrote, uh, "Santos, bring me the puppies." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, thanks for calling. I appreciate it, Dave. All right. Have a good one. Thanks, you too. Let's take a break here. And, you know, we also haven't talked about (laughs) Mitt Romney. (laughs) This is is too much fun. More after this on WCPT 820, Land Signal. Because facts matter. You are listening to WCPT 820. Listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Discussing uh, running a uh, ground a ground game and uh, running for uh, a, a elected position, but I should probably do some of that on the air. But uh, first of all, I want to introduce you to Christian Bloom, who's running for Dem- the uh, aldermanic seat of the 40th Ward. And uh, he reached out. He I met you. Did I meet you at uh, with uh, the 40th Ward Dems f- uh, after the general election in November? Was that where we connected? Yeah, yes. Yeah, we were at the uh, holiday party in... Um yeah, from Maggie O'Keefe's. Yeah, yes. uh, uh, Whiskey Girl Tavern. Oh, that was so much fun. Yes. Yeah. Let me, there you go. I will, uh, uh, so I was asking a few questions uh, off the air. Uh, Christian is uh, in your first campaign, I'm guessing. This is, yeah. Yes. First time I ran. <laughs> it is, uh, is it all you'd hoped it would be? It's uh, It's a grind. I'm looking forward to uh, to it being over with, okay. honestly. Yeah. I, um... Uh, okay, first of all, let's start here because I, I have a listener on the whole. We were talking about the uh, – before we start talking about your campaign, sure. I want to make sure uh, listeners who uh, want to talk about the State of the Union, did you watch the State of the Union last night? I did not. We had a, we had a forum last night, oh, and uh, yeah, I, I, I did my kids home, and we had a babysitter. We got home, and I just didn't have the energy for it. Yeah, I, I've watched some of the replay and some of the coverage on it, and it's, uh, it's fascinating to see uh, <laughs> some of the, the – one – President Biden was absolutely masterful. Anyone who wants to talk about his age and his ability to to get things done just need to watch that speech. Mirna, what did you think, my friend? Hey, Mirna. Hi. Hey. Uh, I wanted to comment about the rebuttal from the uh, State of the Union address last night. Yes, of course. Huckabee. Um, Ms. Huckabee was talking about age difference here. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. to be 40 years old. I mean, she looks like she's about 45. Sarah Huckabee is, is says she's 40, she's 40 years old? 
That's what she said. Okay. She opened up her, the rebuttal by saying, I'm 40 years old, the youngest governor in, in the country. He's 80 <laughs> years old, the oldest uh, president to ever be. Whatever. And I'm sitting there. Yeah. And after watching, you know, what happened in the exchange there with uh, the thing about Medicare, I think she didn't have time to rewrite the rebuttal because if I were her, I think I would have said something like, I'm 40 years old. I'm the youngest governor in the United States. He's 80 years old and he just played us for a fool. I suspect that she... Uh, I don't even know if she watched it. I mean, or she watched it and just was living in, uh, you know, on camp. Yeah, at camp, camp La La Land. I don't know what what she was talking about because it's all she went. She again, she went to the cultural war stuff. She doesn't. She didn't even address the fact that the jobs, the infrastructure, uh, what we've done globally, uh, what we've done for seniors. You know, she's like he doesn't know who a woman is. Okay, sit down. I mean, she was sitting down with really horrible looking lipstick. She should never wear white. Anyway, go ahead. Oh no, I'm talking about uh, the what you mean? No, not the uh, not no, but but Sarah no, was wearing white too. Sarah Huckabee was Governor Huckabee was wearing white as well. Yeah, it was like a cream color. Okay. Apparently, okay. The, yeah, that was that was their color of the night. Oh, okay, purity, I guess maybe. Yeah, but um, yeah, like I said, it, it was so funny that you know here he's they're always talking about he's too old, he's senile, and you know it's Alzheimer's and stuff, and yet. He played them like a fool, all of them. Yeah. Not just one of them, but all of them. So that, to me, was just the funniest part of the whole thing, was the, his, the, his reaction to their reaction when he got them to say, you know, to agree to it. Yeah. I was like, yeah, there you go. There's the old fart. It was it was it was elegant the way he owned them. Did you, so uh, our guest Christian Bloom just uh, pulled up the picture of Sarah. So she is wearing a cream colored uh, wrap top, I believe. Is what uh, I'm, not, I'm not the best with colors. I would I would I would say white, but white. <laughs> <laughs> that's how. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I didn't actually watch it last night. I was. Uh, so shame on me for not watching. But um, you were, you there's were, a lot going on in this campaign, so I was really busy. Yeah, and uh, yeah. I, Better use of my time sleeping. I'm not going to watch Sarah Huckabee's. I mean, I've seen clips of it, but uh, I'm not going to. I'm not going to watch it. It's. Uh, I, I got it. But, but here, uh, Mirna and Christian. I don't know if I, if either of you caught this part of it. Uh, there was an exchange between Mitt Romney and George Santos, and Mitt oh, Romney. Yeah. Did you? Oh, you haven't heard about this? Oh, please, Christian, pull that story up on your phone because it's. Oh, Lady B, you haven't heard about this? Oh, come on, you guys. This is, and it was so funny because one of the Republicans was was complaining that Mitt Romney was going to distract from things in here. Clearly, he didn't because none of you know that Mitt Romney told George Santos, "You don't belong here," and uh, uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, "That's amazing." But here's the thing: I'm sorry, Mitt. It's too late. Your party is nonsense, and all of that madness has led to the creation of a guy like George Santos. Exactly. Yep. yep. Yeah, and like you said, the, when that interaction, look at George's face. It, yeah. It's like he wasn't expecting that from him. And I was like, at first I didn't catch, and then I watched the, I watched it again on YouTube, and I was like, that's why he had that look on his face. Yeah, he yeah. was just. He, yeah, he said he said uh, if he had any shame at all, he wouldn't be there, and he called him a sick puppy. 
It's fantastic. I really, I really enjoy this. This is great. I mean, here's the thing. It doesn't matter, right? Marjorie Trader Green and Lauren Boebert went at it a few few weeks ago, and uh, they're just their nonsense. I, I mean, Trader Green is so ready to sit behind, sit there with the gavel, isn't she? She is so going to vote him out of his seat. It's going to be. This, I just the crap show continues. Is all I'm saying. It's entertaining. <laughs> it, is, it is entertaining. If it wasn't so freaking important, yeah, it would. It would I mean, I have to laugh at it because it's so crazy. You know, you know, you've heard about um, uh, Lauren's restaurant out in Colorado, it closed, right? right? Oh, I don't know. I, I, I didn't hear that. But oh. my brother-in-law, who's not a big fan, yeah, oh. was telling me about it. She's got a restaurant called Shooters or something. <laughs> of course she does. Well, Myrna, thank you so much for calling. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, Christian Bloom joins us. He's running for the 40th Ward Aldermanic seat. Uh, the uh, 40th Ward has like the area of like Andersonville. Uh, what is it? A little bit of Uptown. What do you got? Yeah, yeah. We're, that's, yeah if you know where Rose Hill Cemetery is around Foster and Western, it can, that's kind of near the center point, And then it extends all the way up to Lunt Avenue and then all the way down to Montrose and Ravenswood Manor. So we got Lincoln Square, Ravenswood Manor, uh, West Andersonville, West... West Ridge, um, you might call it South uh, Rogers Park, but right right near the border there on Edgewater. So big area. And what? Okay, first of all, where'd you grow up, Christian? I grew up in that area, so I grew up right by Winnemac Park, um, one of five. Uh, my dad was a cab driver. My mom was uh, worked at Jewel. Come they, on, uh, yeah. Your dad was a cab driver. He was a cab was a cab, driver. My dad was a cabbie for fifty years. Oh, okay. Well, who did who do you drive for? Well, he drove for Flash, Yellow, Checker. Uh, he eventually owned his own livery. He had a, a patrician livery. Thank you very Back much. Back when they were worth worth something, the, right? the, the medallions. Yeah, I don't think a, they are. Did he have a medallion? I don't. He never owned his own medallion. Neither did yeah. my dad. Yeah. And and I remember talking to people. This is more recently. They said they tra- they traded in their medallion and were able to buy like a two flat or a yeah. three flat. They were worth a lot of money oh, up yeah. until. You know, Uber came in and ruined them. Absolutely. But uh, 2102 was his number. What was your dad's? I don't know my dad's number. That's interesting. I'm sure it's in his... So I still have his dresser. My dad passed away in 2001, and I still have his dresser downstairs in the basement. And uh, like the, the top drawers, a lot of the things that he still had. So I'm sure it's in there. I never knew... We never talked about that. He started driving in 19, so if, 1950. He started driving. Oh, wow. He had his license for 50 years. He wanted to go renew it before he passed away. He wanted... I, I don't know if he was like one of the longest or something, but uh, wh- where was your father from? Did he so, grow- yeah, my, my dad grew up right around here near Forest Glen. He was one of 12 uh, big... Irish, Catholic, German family. They had to have known each other, our dads. Maybe. Yeah. He was born in 52, though, so he's a little younger. A little younger. My dad was born in 33, but uh, yeah, he's he, still... Yeah, and he drove her, I think, yellow, checkered. Uh, he, Flash, he once had, yeah. Yeah, he once had a guy, uh, I think, uh, pull a knife on him. Uh, you know, your dad probably had stories oh, yeah. of being robbed, and yeah. um, back then they didn't have, you know, security cameras or things like that in the taxi cab. But he, he you know, he went back to school and eventually became a CPA and uh, worked for himself. And then my mom went back to school, and she's a social services worker. So. How wonderful! Yeah, she finished college right around the same time I did. So she was she homeschooled us. We were I was one of five, homeschooled till eighth grade, then high school at Northside College Prep. We grew up in a small bungalow, two-bedroom bungalow, and uh, I was the second oldest, older sister, uh, two younger brothers, and a younger sister. So, yeah. What uh, What was your mom's? What was the behind her wanting to homeschool you guys? Because I mean, I loved having my kids at home, not that much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not five, did you say five kids? She homeschooled five, five kids. She homeschooled. Yeah, and I think. It was the flexibility. We like to travel a lot. Like we like oh, to sure. drive to Wisconsin uh-huh. for a month at a time. And she she got us involved in these programs. There used to be this program called Urban Gateways, where they put on uh, 
plays and things for kids in the city, and she would sign us up for those. So we went to a lot of museums. I mean, we probably spent a half hour to an hour each day actually doing schoolwork. Mm -hmm. The rest of it was experiential learning, and it was great. Oh, wow. That's yeah. that's. Lovely. I mean, we, we got to sleep in until whenever. <laughs> we, we never had Mom, homework. <laughs> I could have slept in for till whenever. I, 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 I'm trying to remember. I, I can't imagine. No, I, I was just talking about how I went away to camp. Uh, I loved going away to camp. I, I spent every six summers away from... I, I, I grew up in a very different situation, but... Uh, in Chicago? Yeah, I grew up right here. I grew up in uh, Norwood Park. Uh, I live in Jefferson Park. Okay. Uh, I, used to go to, uh, I went to Lane Tech. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, how, what a wild story. I, w- I would have went to Lane Tech. I, got, I tested in. Mm-hmm. I took the test. And, and Where'd then, you end up going, you said? Uh, Northside opened the same year. Oh, so, yeah. 99 Northside opened, and then I chose... Uh, Pat O'Connor, actually, the former alderman, was instrumental in getting that opened, and uh, I, I took a chance on it. And now it's like a ridiculously hard school to get into. And... It's a great looking school, though. And the, oh yeah, did you by any chance were you on the swim team? I was. I was going to say that's a it's one of the most beautiful pools. Oh, you've been there in the city. My son went to uh, Peyton, but he looked at. Uh, oh okay. Yeah, he put Lane at number five, which I mean, come on. <laughs> he had like I think it Jones ahead of it, and uh, Whitney Young, I think St. Ignatius. Oh, my wife or, oh, teaches at St. Ignatius. Oh, really? Yeah. That is a wild school. It's cool. St. Ignatius? Yeah. yeah. Lots of lots of lawyers and judges went there. Yeah. And the you know, <laughs> former speakers of the house and things like that. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Mike Madigan and Don. I think Don Harmon might. I mean, like a ton of. Maybe Harmon went to. Uh, I feel like he went to there or Loyola. There's a lot of le- electeds that went to uh, Loyola uh, Academy yeah, as well. Yeah, Loyola or yeah. St. Ignatius. Those are the, the two uh, Jesuit uh, yeah. schools. But the, it's a great community. The people it there is. are really nice. Um, Peyton's a great school, too. Yes. Who is the principal when your son was oh, there? Oh, I can't remember the principal. I'm sure my husband can. You know, I, I'll was it through. Tim Devine? Uh, that sounds like maybe the first year, um, because he just graduated. He's a freshman right now. Oh, okay. So, yeah, uh, I think Tim, Tim Devine was my teacher over at uh, Northside. His dad was Dick Devine, the former uh, state's attorney. I didn't know that. And he took, I think he took over as principal at... Peyton, I forget what year. Tim Devine in 2020. Uh, students and parents, please read the attached. So, uh, so he was his principal. He was in, uh, he was a principal while he was there, and then another principal took over. Wonderful woman who was the principal when Griffin graduated. Oh, okay, yeah. and then I, I I went back and I coached water polo at Northside for six years and swimming at Von Von Steuben. So okay, we have a big conversation to have right now. I need to, we need to talk about swimming and water polo <laughs> and other things aqua related as well as your campaign. Christian Bloom joins me in studio. He is challenging an incumbent in the 40th. Ward. Not an easy thing to do, and I want to know. I, I've, I've got questions. i got a lot of questions. Uh, and off the air, I'll, I'll talk to him about call time. Dollars and doors. How many people do I have to tell this to? More after this on WCPT 820. Oh, don't forget to text Corella DeVille, 277-3763-9278. Uh, if Marjorie Trader Green's going to wear something ridiculous, uh, I'm going to give something away on that. So we've got a $50 gift card from our friends at Brown Sugar Bakery. So text Corella DeVille for your chance to win a gift card. And uh, and everyone can order something tasty and sweet for your loved ones. Uh, they're ready to ship anywhere in the country, so visit their website. More after this on WCPT 820, Heartland Signal. WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. Gaz is taking your calls now. At 773-763-9278. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Now on WCPT 820. 
making uh, Christian Bloom go, what? Wait, who, what is going on? I feel like I was just in the office at Maggie O'Keefe's office. Uh, we were talking about uh, campaigning and stuff. I came in and uh, one of the folks working there, I was talking to Maggie about this Netflix documentary that I did uh, after my my uh, the election that I ran. Um, uh, and the, I won't go in. My mom and I were in the car yesterday. She goes, we get it. Lindsay LaFoy <laughs> and Robert Martwick are terrible people. Okay. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, yes, I was in the Netflix documentary and uh, I, I came forward because I was forced to share my, my legal name, Bonin, on the ballot. Uh, one of the, the lovely things that came out of that, uh, despite the unfortunate circumstances, was my brother's friends because I never talked about it. No one knew about it publicly. There wasn't really there were very few people and his his friends started reaching out to me and they had stories to share with me and one of them said we watch all the documentaries and we always wonder what happened to Mike how come no one ever talks about Mike so the way they presented it to me was that they would be honoring and 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 I've heard from people from all over the world that they felt that uh, they had that they had done a good job of of helping people remember the victims in this in any way to move that a little bit uh, for the sensationalism of it and I it's so weird because I'm I'm a SAG after member, and uh, there's there's this Netflix series on Jeffrey Dahmer, and I and they have like a they have like a, a from what I understand a Gacy scene. So I know like this is surreal part that of where there's now going to be like the serial killer universe, and now I'm like forced to like decide if I want to this it's just crazy uh so welcome to politics is what i'm saying <laughs> christian bloom um so, yeah i didn't think we'd be talking about uh no there's john no, wayne gacy but uh, no yeah no uh, but, we are but, on the northwest but, side and well not only that but it is it is a strange political story and yet you know when you run for office uh you do you are interviewing and so when people ask why is bonnet on the ballot and who is that and why do you have different names you have to stand there and explain i just hope that I would be able to choose my moment. And so what I'm saying is you have chosen to step out of the battlefield, essentially, of politics. And, and you know, it takes time. It takes money. It takes emotional energy. So uh, it takes thick skin or at least to pretend like you do. And, uh, and you know, uh, what what led you to this decision to step into politics? I, I never I never saw myself as a politician or wanting to be a politician. Then I um, I didn't I didn't mention this before, but it, it, it's I'll give a short version of this story. But my brother and I started a pedicab company. We had twenty two cabs back in two thousand eight. So I kind of followed in my dad's footsteps with the taxi cab driving. That led me to deal with city government, realize how hard they are on new businesses like that. And uh, I got into law school, learned a bit about the law, worked with small business owners, worked with the city a little bit, and. Um, then in the last three years, I really didn't like the direction our neighborhood and our city was headed. And I got three little kids. I grew up in Chicago. My parents grew up in Chicago. My grandparents grew up in Chicago. And I didn't really like the direction we're headed in terms of affordability, safety. And I, I wanted to make it a place where my kids would not only be able to afford to live in, uh, but would want to live in sure. when they grow up. I, I, I think it's great to have kids and grandkids nearby. I think that's what, you know, Chicago is special like that. We have a lot of two flats, three flats where we have multi-generational families. And I kind of, I, I, I want to preserve that. I don't want to have to fly across the country to see my kids when they're, when they're older. And when you decided, when did you start running? What, what was the first day you started door knocking? So I printed out some sheets online and I got my wife and me to sign the petition sheets. I'm like, oh, you know, I'll just walk up and down the block. I'll get some signatures. There's a lot of people on my block. We got a lot of multi-units and I waited on it, waited on it. And then somebody said, I was talking to my, uh, my cousin's husband 
And he was telling me, oh, well, election day is the best day to go out and get signatures. You got to go out election day if you're thinking about going That's out. It's not until November. Yeah, so I went out November 8th and started collecting signatures. Okay, can you, folks, can I, can you all do me a favor? And maybe I'll do it for free or maybe, maybe I just have a seminar. Uh, uh, wow, <laughs> that's I mean, so I, we got I, over eleven hundred signatures. I understand that, but uh, door knocking and collecting signatures is also campaigning. You don't need money for it, right? You know, so like as many doors as possible. Right. Uh, and and I I sat when I sit down with people, I tell them what it's going to take, what my schedule, what a schedule could look should look like, and what the like the call times. And I've told people like unless, especially if you're running against an incumbent, you got to know that you can raise a hundred thousand dollars. I've been told that before. Yeah. <laughs> Good. I'm glad that somebody told you that. Um, because, uh, it, and I know that sounds horrible and unfortunate, and it shouldn't be that way, right? But there's so many different elements to it. And, and you know, th- part of, unfortunately, what you're talking about and the direction of the city, part of that is that there are special interests who say, hey, you know, this competition or this uh, building or this zoning and all these different elements that come into it, and they, they want to have a piece. And unfortunately, you know, the people that, that's why the friends and family list is so important. You got Did you write every single person you ever wrote, knew their name and put a dollar number? You have to put the value of your friends. You I, I, I did not feel good about doing that. And I, <laughs> I, I you know what, I told myself I, I, I'm, I'm stupid enough and stubborn enough to, to think that, or naive enough to think that I could, uh, could do it a different way. Uh-huh. Um, and I thought, you know, it's a very localized election. It's the alderman election. There's not going to be commercials. There's not going to be, you know, big big money spending. Uh, you just get to know the neighbors. You show them how you can provide the services to them because that's what the job is. You know, and you work with everybody, and um, and and they'll listen to you and 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 get to know your name hopefully, and uh, support you. And th- and that's kind of the approach I've been taking. Uh, it may be too lackadaisical and uh I'm, I'm, it doesn't I'm, it doesn't I'm, follow the format i I'm get so that i'm so stressed i'm so stressed for you <laughs> I just, I, yes um yeah but that's there's a format i mean like there is there there's a i was talking to someone about this today in my office that there's just a, there is a very simple path but that doesn't mean that the reasons that you do it aren't for the right reasons that it isn't a an incredibly brave thing to do how's your wife feel about uh this campaign <laughs> and the fact that you took this on <laughs> well i have three little kids i have a five Five year old, four year old, and, and one, one that's going to be one on the thirteenth. But um, you didn't really want to run; you just wanted to. You didn't want to be in the house with the kids anymore. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm still the primary. Um, so my wife's a teacher. She's so okay. we get insurance through her, and I'm the I'm the primary uh, transport to and from school for my um, my four and five year old. So that cuts into my day a lot, and um, you know I have the flexibility. That's that's probably been the hardest thing. I, I usually cook dinner at home. I usually do a lot more uh, around the house, and she's really stepped up and helped out a lot there, and I, I really appreciate that. I, um, I asked her, I said, hey, do you think I should do this? She's like, sure, go for it if you, if you want to. She's very supportive. And um, I, I, I don't think I knew enough to warn her what I was getting into. Sure. So. And maybe that's and maybe that's for the best. I mean, like, you know, all my, not, not cynicism, but like, I come down hard on people, and they'll tell you that. Uh, so I'm being gentle no, right no, now. No, no, you come down hard on me. <laughs> oh, let me ask you, Dad, with, yeah. your, with your partner or your husband. Uh, oh, he was mad I didn't run again, my friend. He, I mean, we were close. We were within four, four points. Oh, okay. And, uh, and he, he wanted me to run again. Uh, you know, we were, uh, and there's so many different elements to it. We ran a good race. 
I'm really proud of what we did. And the other thing is, I now do what I set out to do, which was to help families across the state of Illinois with healthcare and human services as a policy advisor for Controller Mendoza. And I love what I do. And, and you know, I wanted to be the person that, that, that carried that story. So one of the reasons that I was inspired to run was I covered Springfield uh, during the Bruce Rauner budget impasse. Okay, he had chopped off uh, spending and uh, services for Autism Program of Illinois, Meals on Wheels, after-school programs. And I went down there. I was like, what is going on down here? And over two and a half years, what I learned sitting in the press box and having conversations and hearing people speak on the floor of the General Assembly was, you know, what they bring are their stories. You know, I remember Representative Andrade talking about coming from a union family and what that, you know, what that made possible in their lives. And I heard business people talk about being small business owners and what that's important. And what I never, ever heard down there were the parents of a child with significant disabilities and what that, not just what that, you know, what can, what, what is possible for families like ours, but also what we contribute to the community and how we can help make the communities stronger and healthier and better for everyone, safer. Because when you help uh, f- folks like our families, you know, function and succeed, you are doing that for everyone. If you, it's a lifting all boats kind of a thing. And, but nobody had that story and nobody knew what it was like to live this life and that and the other thing is is that you know parents like Steve and I whose child will never live independently we often think I can't die first we can't because we can't imagine that our child will be cared for as much as we love him and that's and so what I was running for was in the apps in the absence of being able to live forever I want to make this state a better place for everyone so that I know that I'm leaving my son in the best possible place because we are one of the worst states in the country when it comes to programs for the disabled so I mean that's you everyone has to have their why yours is is knowing that your community you, you've grown up in your community you know what it's where it could be your business owner who's seen how hard it is because you know that those businesses could enrich your your neighborhood. Well, yeah, and and, and I want to touch on something you said about families. I think, you know, to your point, being a parent, you don't really have a lot of time to think about running in uh, political races and getting very involved in in civic engagements, um, especially with young kids. And I've noticed with with little kids, especially being the one taking them to and from school and sort of stepping back in my career during the pandemic, it's been really hard for parents with kids these last three years and yeah. four years. And like the, the resources aren't there. The, the, the after school programs are not uh, reliable, not accessible for everybody. It's kind of like you luck out if you get it or you got enough money to pay for it. And that, right. that's not the way it should be. I mean, and, and, and I, I'm a firm believer that investing in kids at a young age pays way better dividends than than spending fifty, sixty thousand dollars on college. I mean, why aren't we spending more on kids when they're two, three? I think we know that they learn the most in the first three years yeah. of their life. And 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 yet we're leaving them at home or, you know, families to fend for themselves. So, uh, you know, a big part of my thing is is families, but I don't want to, to distract from serving everybody in the ward. That's uh, like I said. It's you're you're right. You're in it for the right reasons. Uh, one of our listeners' texts in uh, was your guest guest dad's named Vince. It was yeah. Hey, I, I knew Vince driving a cab forty years ago. So oh, the- hey, by the way, seven seven three. Did you know Larry? Did you know Larry? Larry started driving in nineteen fifty and uh, uh, put his keys down in nineteen in two thousand. So there's uh-huh. Larry and uh, Vince probably cross paths at some point. It's more than likely. There were fascinating stories when I was a kid, and I, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he he also worked at Park West as a bartender and got to ten bar with oh, the Rolling sure. Stones yeah. when they came in there. So I remember hearing that story when uh, we were growing up, and everybody was uh, 
fascinated by it. Oh, you're so cool. And <laughs> yeah. My he, dad, I got an autograph from Goose Gossage and uh, I got a couple autographs. He was a relief pitcher for the Cubs. Oh, okay. And, a, and one of the uh, great relief pitchers of all time. Yeah. Oh, are, yeah. You, are you a Cubs, Cubs fan? fan. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, right. I would imagine that you are. How yeah. would you oh, grow definitely. Up yeah. That was one of the lightning round questions yeah. yesterday. <laughs> <And> my opponent, <laughs> but actually both my opponents, I think, uh, said they were both Cubs and Sox fans. Oh, that's not, that's, that's so tepid. Let's take a break here. We're hanging out with Christian Bloom. He's running for Alder, the automatic seat of the 45th the 40th ward. I'm in the 40th. I'm in the 45th. He's in the 40th. His race is not quite as, uh, let's say, dynamic as my my neighborhood, but I'm sure there were fireworks nonetheless. Let's talk more when we come back. Matt, I'll take a call right when we come back. Someone hung up. I think it was probably Steve from the Gold Coast. My apologies. I was going to get to it. I was just talking to my guest. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT Willow Springs, is powered by ComEd. See how ComEd is preparing for a clean energy future at comed.com slash clean energy. You're listening to WCPT 820. This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. Patty Vasquez is taking your calls now. At 773-763-9278. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Now on WCPT 820. We are in studio with the uh, one of the candidates for the 40th Ward Aldermanic seat. We have Christian Bloom joining us, who's gotten into the race. Uh, and uh, how how quickly did you... Is it everything you'd, you'd, you'd think it would be based on uh, newspaper stories about Chicago politics or TV and movies about... Uh, what it's like to to be in politics, in particular Chicago. You know, I didn't, I didn't give it that much thought. And growing up in the city and reading about all the politics and the city politics and how uh, everything's you know our history, and I, I enjoy reading local history. Um, I didn't give it that much thought. I, th- I, I you know I generally think that maybe when Barack Obama came around, things started to change and people started to say, hey, we don't need to get so much money in politics, or we don't need to um, follow the the entrenched power and keep. You know, building on that and building on that, and, and and only the people that are connected can get in. I was I, I was naively open-minded about it. So, well, it's it's it, it, uh, how do I put this? Um, there are ways to. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot to take on. It's a lot to take on an incumbent. They come with the power of the incumbency, which is money and manpower and institutional support. Whether it's unions, I mean that's. I mean that from and, and endorsements. I remember it's like it's like body blow after body blow. If you're like you didn't even talk to me, you didn't even right. You didn't. Even, we didn't even have a sit down to talk about why I'm. They don't care, Christian. They will go with the incumbent. They don't care. They rubber stamp. All those endorsements. For, for, yeah, for example, my grandfather, his brother were firefighters, local two guys, right? Uh, and they, they were they were involved in the strike. As, as, you know, they told the, me the, the Brotherhood of the Barrel. Yeah, they, yeah, and they and I've, I've read about it, right? Mooney or Moon, uh, the the leader back then, uh-huh. and. Um, you know, so I, I applied for that, and I think I, I don't even know if they went with you my for opponent the endorsement? You for their endorsement. Yeah. yeah, I think oh, you know, I'm connected to a firefighter. I actually applied to be a firefighter back in 2006. Those lists are tough. Yeah, yeah. I got a bad number, but um, yeah, I, I you know I didn't I didn't get that endorsement. Uh, yeah. I don't know if they endorsed my opponent, but um, you know, and and, and then there's let some. Me, oh, let me ahead. check. Go ahead. <laughs> you keep talking. I can check. Go ahead. Um, and then there's there's some endorsements that I was told to stay away from. Um, oh yeah, charter know. schools stay away from charter schools. Uh, FOP, I didn't apply oh, yeah, for that endorsement. Do I don't either. even. As you said, so some of them I didn't even know how to 
applied or that they existed mm -hmm. right in the first place, especially with all the unions and all right. the uh, and, you know I have a, I'm a union family, but I still don't know all the numbers and and who's who's most powerful in, in that regard. And I didn't get into it until later on, so I wasn't on the radar and I was I was being challenged. And when you go through the challenge process, I think people think you're less viable, right, until right. you get on the ballot. So they're not right. even going to take a hard look at you. Isn't that wild? Like it's so many of the different things. I know. I I I, uh, I so I, my friend who was a political strategist, he was a, a worked on my campaign for peanuts because he believed in me so much. Our good friend uh, Tom Carmack, who passed away in October, um, we we had plans to start a kind of we were thought about uh, working together as consultants and and uh, and we still we, we've met with a few people like before they decide to run and and I actually have uh, the blueprints for, you know, the time frame, right? Let's say you decide, let's say like after this race, let's say whatever happens, right? Mm -hmm. And and you, if you win, you are still running. If you don't win, I'm saying, because the incumbent is always raising money, then they already have the, the platform, right? Because they're, that, they're always running. Incumbents are always running Why for office. Why do they need so much money? <laughs> It's <laughs> so cute. And, uh, <laughs> no, serious, serious question. Why, yeah. they, why can't they run on well, the record? Because because they're they're <laughs> uh, because you have to tell you have to get your story of your record out. Then right, you have to keep telling that story, and you use those funds to support other people that, that can support you, or then that, that those tentacles of support that that stretch out. Right. Mm -hmm. So let's say no matter what happens on the day after whatever, if there is a runoff or not, the day after you're done, if you win, you're still running. If you don't, if you're not successful. And you want another bite at the apple, or you think there's another seat? You start running. You use that momentum and what you've learned, and and just go. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Right? You have to decide. Am I going to keep going door to door? I've met all these people. I've built this coalition. I've got volunteers, and just go. Okay, what you sit down, you go. What's next? You West Wing it is all I'm mm -hmm. saying. <laughs> Did you watch West Wing with Martin Martin Sheen? And, oh, I didn't watch that much TV. So you would have known a lot more about how to run. I, I used to listen to West Wing on my Bluetooth when I went door knocking. I would just listen to the show is it, in the is background. It on one of the streaming channels, maybe because. Yeah, after this, I need to get into a good show. Yeah, you're, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know if I want that. I want that. They'll so, bring up too many memories of the uh, campaign. The campaign? No, no, no. It's a, it's a lot about uh, it's a lot about the dynamics of the people who want to get involved in government and politics. It's, okay. it's, yeah. yeah. Let me take a call right here. Since we talked, since I mentioned West Wing, let's uh, take a call for, about the, the uh, State of the Union. Matt, my friend, how are you doing? Hello, everyone. I'm not going to yell tonight. I'm not going to even raise your voice. But what I am going to say is a little poem. Roses are red, violets are blue. Arkansas, what in the hell is the matter with you? Why would you elect Sarah Huckleby Saddlebag Sanders? Oh, my God, I love that. Position of power <laughs> over anything. Yeah. Why? It doesn't because, Why? or as Stephanie likes to call her, Aunt Lydia, or whatever. Yes, Aunt, Aunt Lydia from uh, f that's well, that's from The Handmaid's Tale. So the Lydias are the uh, women who are no longer of childbearing age, and they're the ones. Many of them are tasked with uh, basically torturing the handmaidens to make them uh, behave, to make them compliant with their their duties. Oh, I could see Sarah. Yes, see, torturing people. Yep. I mean, she does it every time she speaks. But that's besides the point. Yeah, and and forced um, forced childbirth, obviously, right up her alley. Oh mm -hmm. yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're sitting up there, and she's saying, "I don't believe a word of anything Biden said." And I know Democrats want anarchy, and 
Like, you know, if you're going to give us rhetoric, get some new rhetoric. Don't play the greatest thing. Give us something new. Yeah, because I agree. it's getting really, really old. As Lenny Leonard once said on The Simpsons, what about some new oldies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please. Something. Yeah. Something to Well, I mean, and well, that whole thing, Kevin McCarthy, did he fall asleep at one point? I, it looked like he, I think he was trying to meditate. He was trying to, like, he was like, you know, don't react, don't react. There was one point where, look, he was trying to tell uh, Mar- Marjorie Trader Green, he was like, Shh. he was like shaking his head, like, please don't talk. Yeah. I, she, she I mean, Sarah, uh, Uncle B, whatever. Saddlebags. I like that. But, I was a big fan of that yeah, statement. Yeah. But um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, I, I don't have Stephanie's uh, box in front of me, but she truly is the mayor of Crazy Town. That woman yeah. is out of control. And I'm not, I, you know what? Just in case somebody wants to get on the air and say, oh, so women are out of control. Okay. That human being, if you can call her that, is out of control. Yeah. And the fact that she has power over anything is terrifying. That's actually, honestly, her being in power over anything and being able to make decisions is worse than Donald Trump being in power. And that says a lot. Because at least with Donald, you know exactly what he's going to do. You know exactly which way he's going to go until he decides to flip-flop. But you know exactly which way he's going to go. Marjorie Taylor Greene is a clear and present danger and a threat to the American public because she is literally, certifiably nuts. Wow. Yeah, I agree. She is. Uh, I think that, Christian, did you want to say something about the... the, the... <laughs> no, I, I, I actually didn't watch it. I mean, I, I have watched it in years past. I, re- I am really interested in it. It's just, it's so long. It's almost like these... <laughs> It's like these football games now that that start at like eight o'clock at night and then they're over with at like midnight yeah. and you're like you just want as you know a parent of young tomorrow. kids you yeah. got to go to bed yeah. right at some yeah. time I'm so I'm, yeah shame on me for not watching and you, but and you can't have a beer one beer last four hours you're like now I got to have no. another <laughs> <laughs> exactly or I mean yeah it's just, they just go on and on yeah. but um, how long did it last last uh, what well, how would you say about hour forty five last night Matt. Yeah, somewhere around there. I'm sure they always have the times of who does the longest speeches. Yep. Well, thank you so much for calling. Yeah, I mean, yep. Sometimes, yep. Sometimes the rebuttal is longer than the damn State of the Union. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. Sometimes then, the State of the Union run pretty quick, and all of a sudden, they're, Republicans and Democrats are both on there for like four hours talking to each other. It's, 72 minutes. Wow, that wasn't yeah. too bad. Hour 12? Yeah. Does that count all the time where they walk in and shake hands and high-five each other (laughs) and smile for the cameras? No. No, it doesn't. It doesn't count that. Oh, that's so funny. (laughs) Our great heroes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's so funny. Thanks for calling. Barack Obama. Anyway, thank you, guys. Enjoy your night. And as always, I'll be listening until 7 o'clock, which afterwards, what's the point of listening or living? Goodbye. You're so sweet, Matt. Thank you so much. And of course, Devil's Advocates with Mike Crute. It's always great to listen to. Uh, We're in studio with uh, with Christian Blue. Let's take a break here, and uh, we'll come back. And and, uh, Oh, wait. Before we go to the break, how can people learn more about your campaign? Sure. Thanks for asking, Patty. Uh, they can go to my website, Bloom, B-L-U-M-E, 40.com, and that's probably the best way to learn about my 
platform um, and follow all my social links and all that. And I want to find out, we'll talk more about your uh, your platform and uh, what your what some of your policy issues are. I know that a part of it is uh, the bike grid, the uh, public transportation, businesses in your community. Uh, those are just some of the things I've seen you tweet about. So let's come back and talk to Christian when we come back on WCPT 820. Heartland Signal. Don't forget the text. Corella DeVille, 273 for your chance to win a gift card, a $50 gift card from Brown Sugar Bakery. Mind over matters. Dr. Amy Harris. Nuan, as you know, this show is about challenging you to think differently, to make different choices in your life, to take action, to create positive outcomes in your life. So I want to challenge you to look at your life holistically. To where am I satisfied? What areas uh, need attention? And then go to work, take an action, what you need to do. Mind over matters with Dr. Amy Harris Nuan. Sundays at 10 a.m. on WCPT 820. You're listening to WCPT 820, because facts matter. From the Manaqua Brewing Company, and I sell Choice Hard Seltzer, an all-natural grapefruit-flavored booze that you can enjoy for only 100 calories a can. A percentage of the proceeds of every can of Choice Hard Seltzer you buy goes to reproductive rights organizations in the Chicagoland area. Enjoy a light, refreshing hard seltzer this summer and support reproductive freedom at the same time. Now available at Dino's Cardinal Liquors in Gurney, Illinois, and Sugar Beet Food Co-op in Oak Park, as well as in Chicago at Jarvis Square Tavern, Rogers Park, and Garfield's Beverage Express Wicker Park. Please drink responsibly. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. We are hanging out in studio with Christian Bloom, who's running for the aldermanic seat of the 40th Ward. And uh, folks can visit your website again one more time for the folks. Yeah, it's uh, Bloom, B-L-U-M-E, uh-huh. 40.com. Okay. Yeah, check it out. And uh, we were, you were mentioning that your so your father was a cab driver, and uh, and then you had a a pedicab business, twenty two pedicabs, um, and uh, and so what was I mean being a pedicab driver? I mean, did you do a lot of it, or were you obviously leasing them out to uh, to drivers? Um, that has to be that's a really hard way to learn about traffic in Chicago, isn't it? It is, yeah, and <laughs> <laughs> and congestion and how um, you know stuck in the past we are in terms of, of road design and infrastructure design and transportation overall. Um, you know, w- we offered a great service and a lot of it was on the bike. I probably made most of my money doing that, riding riding the actual pedicab and we got to meet a lot of great people. I think I had uh, Billy Williams in my cab once. Wow. Um, uh, Helen Hunt was in... Um, nice. Is that right? Yeah. Or Bonnie, Bonnie Hunt. Okay. Bonnie she Hunt, she yeah. lives here, although I think Helen Hunt's filmed some stuff here, but yeah. yeah it was Bonnie Hunt. Um, I get those confused. But, um, and then my one brother had a few Blackhawks or a Blackhawks player in there. And so you get to meet a lot of really interesting people and have a, a lot of great conversations. But, you know, it, it opened my eyes to transportation in the city and how we're so stuck on this car culture. And um, I've been a lifelong cyclist. I think, you know, I, I talk a lot about cycling, and I talk a lot about uh, alternative forms of transportation. Um, and I've tried to, be, you know, my opponent, I think, has tried to paint me as a single-issue type person. Okay. Um, but that's not 
all I care about, right? There's a lot of other issues going on in the community. I think that um, that is one thing, though, that the aldermen can affect and one thing that they can work with other people at City Hall uh, to get done. So uh, I, I do talk a lot about it because I, I know a lot about it, um, but there's also, you know, affordability is a big issue in our community right now, um, especially with people who have lived there, like, you know, for 40, 50 years, and they're either facing retirement or, the, you know, they're close to retirement, but they don't have a, a, enough money to continue to pay these tax increases, cost of living increases, and everything is just getting, across the board, everything is getting really expensive. But I've noticed it throughout the ward. And you can definitely tell walking down the streets, uh, based on some of the housing stock we have, uh, who's been there a long time and who's kind of newer to the community. Because while we have these, these older homes and these older two flats, we also have like multi-million dollar single family homes going up right next to them, right? They're tearing down these. And so it's changing the character of the neighborhood and changing the type of people uh, that are coming in, which is great. More people in the, in the neighborhood, more. Um, but, you know, it, it's also making feel like people feel like they're getting pushed out at the same time. I want to read something from a listener who lives in your ward, uh, only because I, as a resident of the 40th Ward, I would like to point out that referring to the current alderman of the 40th Ward as an incumbent may be accurate, but it's also very very misleading in the way it's being discussed. You, so they, they're saying Andre Vasquez was elected in 2019 by us over the longtime incumbent ROMS floor leader Pat O'Connor, mostly because he had not represented us for a long time. Andre is part of the Progressive Caucus along with Maria Haddon and has had more meetings with us on our block in his four years than O'Connor did from the time we moved into the ward in 1996. I'm not, uh, I, I'm not sure which part you think is misleading. I, I am abs- it is absolutely true that incumbent has a power. Your support is separate from the institutional support. So I appreciate that you are, are your point of view, and I absolutely honor that. Uh, what I'm talking about is I think that if anyone wants to run, they should. If they have a vision and they want to challenge what's happening, whether or not they're successful in that, they also elevate the conversation and, and bring things to the attention of the people that make decisions, whether it's going to be you or now, you know, if Andre Vasquez and you can collaborate afterwards, I encourage you to not uh, I mean, I don't know how negative it's gotten, uh, so that's good. And that's not the way my race went down, so, <laughs> so I will not. Yeah, I, I, I never wanted it to be that. I, I, I don't want to. I don't like belittling people. I, I'd rather kill them with kindness. I mean, um, but hmm. it's. I wonder who could have benefited from that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, it's. <laughs> you know, at, at at the end of the day, we're all going to be neighbors, right? Yeah, and we're all going to live there. And and I, I mean, I've been there. I'm going to continue to be there. So I'm not going to. Um, you know, burn any bridges there. I, I and I think I got that sentiment for the the, the texter that just yes. texted in. I got that sentiment when I was walking around. A lot of people would say, "Oh, he's very responsive. He shows up to all the meetings. He shows up to the block clubs. He shows up to the community things." And he does. He shows up. I'll give him that. And he's he's got a great online presence in terms of of, of social media. And I'm still behind the learning curve on the social media mm-hmm. stuff. Um, so, you know, I, I, I took that in mind and I, going into it, and I, I should probably stop saying so many positive things about the person I'm running against. But um, you have a vision. The thing is that you're not. Here's what I try to remind folks. You can say I'm not running against while well, you are running against them. You're running for the neighborhood and you know where you'd like to go. I think a lot of people think and I gathered this. A lot of people think when you're running against somebody, you're the antithesis of that person. Right. And because they want to paint it black or white. They want to say you're all this or you're all this. Yeah. And. There can't be any overlap, and there can't be any in between. But things happen in between, right? And that's where people meet, and that's where people compromise uh, on the in between. And I don't want to do that all or nothing thinking that all. I want to be able to work with everybody. Mm-hmm. And um, so I've, I've sort of taken that approach. You know, there's some been some 
you know, to, <laughs> some people, I, I, when I asked them, when I was out getting signatures, I'd ask them, you know, do you want to, they'd say, oh, we, we, we like the uh, incumbent or we like Andre. Or We're big Andre fans. I'm like, I'm like well, maybe you want to see options on the ballot. And some people, some people say, no, I don't want to see options. And I'm like, oh, okay. That conversation kind of right. ends there. And some people are like, yeah, you know, you know, I'd like to see options on the ballot. And, and I think you bring up a good point that there's a lot of people who are upset with things, right? And there's a lot of people. And so th- for them to feel like they have a voice and they have a candidate that they can get behind and they can push their issues yeah. forward and, and their voice is heard through a representative or not a representative, but somebody running a, a campaign, um, they feel like they have opportunity. And I think that that means something to a lot of people. So. And, and so again, oh, we've got to go. Uh, thank you so much for, for joining us oh, again. Sorry. What's the no? I just I was so it was a great conversation. Uh, the website one more time. Uh, Bloom 40 B-L-U-M-E 40.com Bloom 40 B-L-U-M-E uh, 40.com. If you live in the 40th Ward, uh, be sure to vote. Uh, it's number 53 on the ballot. So uh, thanks for having me, Patty. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, please tell, uh, thanks for your response. Please tell tell Christian, uh, Steve D says hi to Vince. I don't know if your father is still with us, but uh, Steve D is the the cab driver. Oh, I'm heading over to Rabbits, where our uh, one of our candidates for the 45th Ward, Susanna Ernst, a campaign I'm working on. We're uh, grabbing drinks with Susanna Ernst at Rabbits uh, starting at 730. Folks, have a great night. Thank you, Lady B. Nick D. Uh, Nick, oh, did I say Nick D? Is it one in the? Is it two in the morning? What station am I on? <laughs> Mike Crude and the Devil's Advocates are up next. Flashback.